to you. Hi, Julia. We are going today to be going to one of the places that I thought was the most surprising destination when I arrived that I can oh. ever imagine. Wow. And I'm sure you absolutely loved it as mm-hmm. much. And of course, it's Vietnam. Yes, loved it. Wasn't it amazing? Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it, it? I didn't have any expectations at all, didn't know what was going to be there. And I can't recall having been so enthralled and excited about what I met in Vietnam which surprised me no end than anywhere else in the world. What was it that kind of um, got I, you? I think the pace of it mm-hmm. is just extraordinary. The um, the teeming life in Vietnam, but all very peaceful for mm-hmm. the enormity of the amount of people that are around. Mm-hmm. I thought that the combination of French architecture and yeah, pretty um, and pretty much the Vietnamese architecture mm-hmm. was extraordinary. How things that are quite old can be as beautiful mm. as modern things that are beside them. And, of course, the food was ex- the, the, the food was just too delicious for words. It is a great food destination, isn't it? I, and I think the pace, the pace and the beauty of that country is ever present as you're just walking around. So the high, high pace of things, is that...? The, yes, yeah. yes. What, what for you, Ben? Uh, look, I... I loved, I loved a lot of things about it. I mean, I love the, the food, obviously, yep. is incredible, or some of those things you've described already. The, I love that, though, you know, and there are a few places in the world like it where you get that incredible um, blend of a colonial culture and a yes. contemporary culture and an ancient culture as well, all kind of mixing. Um, amazing, you know, stepping out into the traffic in Ho Chi Minh City, for example, is extraordinary, or even riding around in it on a on a Vespa or a scooter, something like that. We need that. to talk about the motorbikes yeah, there in a minute because Hanoi was exactly the same. In fact, wherever we went. And Hanoi, I just, I loved Hanoi. I've just yep. fa- found that city to be astonishingly beautiful and chaotic and peaceful and everything going on at the same time. Beautiful old French quarter with some lovely, lovely contemporary restaurants doing interesting things with French and Vietnamese food and all those, you know, that it, it, out of control electricity and phone wires and all that stuff happening all in one place. It's, ama- it's amazing how it all comes together, all that craziness, mm. but in coming together as one, the whole lot is just like art. It's just um, mm. fantastic. Now, it's about eight hours away from Australia by plane mm-hmm. and um, there are also amazing resorts and beaches, Yeah, um, historically very significant temples and towns. And all those places that we were just talking about. Now, can, can we just talk about the motorbikes for a minute? Mm-hmm. Like, and and if you if if you haven't been to Vietnam, it's like a carpet of motorbikes. Mm-hmm. And when you first go to cross the road, you think I'm not going to be able to do that. I will not be able to get across this road. <laughs> mm. So I'm just going to have to see this city from this side of the street. Yeah, right. yeah. And then what happened to us when we were there? Some Viet- lovely Vietnamese person came along and said, "Come with me," and he just walked us straight over. And he mm. said, "You learn." Just across, they will miss you. Yeah. And after you've done it for about 15 minutes and crossed five or six roads, you just walk straight through well, and they miss you. The key, I think, is to just walk at a consistent pace. Yes. Don't stop because you'll get hit. Yes. Right? So, yeah, walk at an even pace across the road and just bravely take that first step. And but yeah, remarkably, you get to the other side. And you do. And I don't think until you see it, you can actually believe how many of these motorbikes there are. It is non-stop motorbikes. Mm. It is, isn't it? Everywhere. It's like a river, isn't it? It is like a mm. river. Mm. Um, and even when you go to those be- in Hanoi, I think the little the shopping area in Hanoi, old Hanoi, mm-hmm. 
oh, so crowded, so mm-hmm. extraordinary, so amazing with all those motorbikes going through in the weirdest of places. Yeah. They come around you where you're sitting eating. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's absolutely no, I love fine. All, I love all that. I love that kind of chaos. Wasn't it sensational? Yeah. Let's start in Ho Chi Minh City, mm-hmm. originally Saigon. Um, mm-hmm. What did you find amazing about that? Uh, well, I think you've picked up on it. It's certainly that pace and a sense that a lot is going on. There's a lot of industry. There's people being really productive. There's micro businesses everywhere. There's, you know, Vespers loaded up with beautiful French baguettes, you know, whizzing and across five town. People. And five people. And a pig maybe, <laughs> yes. all kinds of things going yes. everywhere. Um, and a sense that this is a very modern city with some really ancient Roots and those things are all side by side. Some incredible uh, marketplaces as well. Oh, aren't they great? Yeah. Um, just and just a lot going on. A lot going on. And in yeah. Ho Chi Minh City, we went to some of the rooftop bars, which were extraordinary, including one that was where the journalists used to sit during the Vietnam War, and they oh, could wow. actually see out over the river and see some of what was happening. And h- historically, because you are you feel the Vietnam War when you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, and how devastating it must have been, but how forgiving these people are for the fact that, you know, they had to go through it all. But just sitting in it, it was very colonial, the rooftop bar, mm-hmm. and you could you had the sense of you could imagine A all those journalists sitting there yeah. talking to each other about what their stories had been for the day. Wow. But the rooftop bars were terrific at night. They'd yeah, be- and, and in a place like that to get above it. Yes. And get a really good view yes. of what's going on below you. Yes. Um, and with a, something nice in your hand, something nice and cool is an excellent place, excellent place to be. But, but apart from that, Ho Chi Minh City, mm. just I think so delightful, couldn't believe it. And then, of course, you make your way up north to Hanoi and you go through Hoi An. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, Hoi An's beautiful, Julie. Have you, have you been, oh. have you been there? Ben. Can you think of anything other than those streets at night? It's divine. Yeah. Chock a block yeah. with lanterns. Yeah, lanterns everywhere. That lovely uh, river that runs through that ancient, that old part of town, and beautiful uh, little restaurants and bars, everywhere. and and some beautiful homewares stores oh, in those everything. back streets. And yes, and one of my favourite things: those little carts selling those barn me sandwiches. You know, the French the baguette with the um, pork roll and the salad and everything in it for like a dollar or 70 cents or something. An astonishing place. Beautiful. I, I think though you cannot leave that place without that memory indelible on in your brain mm. of all those, but thousands of lanterns yeah. across the street, all different colours yeah. with all those lovely, lovely lights everywhere. Uh, just just the most delightful fairy tale world as you're on your way to um, Hanoi. Yeah, and Hanoi... Again, totally different to say Ho Chi Minh City yep. in the south, and, and same energy, same energy. But I, you know, the vibe I get is that the people are quite different. Yeah, and look, a great walking city as well, particularly oh, in that old yes. part of town. I just would just venture out yes. with my camera for hours, and every every second something kind of unfolds in front of you. Or, but the, just generally, the food's amazing. Oh, and another yeah. place I went to was Nha Trang, which is a big resort town now, so lots of high rise. But having said that, um, there are some exquisite. Uh, resorts kind of tucked away, not far from Nha Trang. I I have to say, I think if you didn't go to Vietnam, you're missing out on one of the absolute joys. Yeah, an absolute of gem, absolute yes. gem of a place. Yes. Um, two uh, two really memorable things I did was a beautiful overnight train journey from Hanoi up to Sapa in the mountains. So oh, it would have been amazing. Beautiful. Um, a lot of development going on there now, but a beautiful. Uh, uh, town that was effectively set up by the French, I think, because it's at altitude, so the climate's cooler and they could escape the heat of the 
the lowlands by going up there. So a lot of French architecture up there as well. Yeah. Um, and then I did this a food tour on vintage Vespers in Ho Chi Minh City. That was you actually rode one of those bikes. I was riding pillion. I was on the back. We had right. a, yeah, yeah. We're, there was a you know half a dozen of us all on these um, vin- proper, proper vintage done. Vespers. Yes. Oh. And we went into kind of districts and neighbourhoods in Ho Chi Minh City that you probably just wouldn't get to, particularly if time was um, limited. And you're walking. Well, you're not going to get there because you haven't can't cover no, the exactly. distance. Yes. So we are whizzing around on these Vespers and. Um, uh, sitting down in little restaurants, you know, I had my kids with me and one of, one of my kids is quite fussy and first dish I think was frog's legs and I was like, oh, God, she's really going to make like a fuss this. here. Straight yeah. into it, straight into the frog's legs. <laughs> and my brain kind of exploded. Um, on that same tour, I think we visited um, a kitchen and made those rice paper rolls or beetle, beetle leaf yes. rolls. We went to a speakeasy. So we pulled up oh. in the middle of nowhere, walked up this set of stairs into this gorgeous old French building and there was... French opera being sung by Vietnamese people and beautiful cocktails and, you know, just kind of a, astonishing experience. You, you can just keep talking like that, yeah. can't you? Yeah. And then we ended up in a pub, a Vietnamese pub, with an ACDC cover band who came on after the Michael Jackson guy. So, like, amazing experiences. Well, you had those and um, my 28-year-old son was with us, so he found different things. Mm. The frog legs wouldn't have bothered mm-hmm. him either. Mm. But that's how we found the rooftop bars and... Mm. You know, he would wander in at 4 a.m. in the morning after having gone to one after the other after the other and having the best time. The nightlife, he said, was just extraordinary. Mm. A mother was a little worried that he wasn't there at 4 a.m. 4 a.m. But you know what? That's the other thing about Vietnam. Really very safe. Mm. Yeah, Isn't it? Absolutely. Surprisingly so. Yeah. It's just, I don't know, you'd give it 9 out of 10. Yeah, and look, it's really big. So... You know, if you yeah. really want to do it, you probably need a bit of time. Yes. Or, or it's one of those destinations where there are some distances, so maybe a small group tour or something would be a fantastic way Splendid. to introduce yourself yes. to that country. Yeah, double thumbs up for sure. Double thumbs up. We've just been talking about how much we love Vietnam. Mm-hmm. The perfect person to give us an Aussie's Guide to Vietnam better than we could. Diane is an Australian writer who ran away to Hanoi in 2016 and she's still there. Oh, Three years on, Diane has travelled around the country and started a business and this is pretty impressive considering she's still mastering the language. Diane, hello to you and welcome to the show. Hi there, how are you going? It's really nice to be here. Diane, from you, Vietnam's full of amazing things, but if there's a traveller yeah. coming over from Australia and they haven't got a lot of time, what do you think, what what do you think is the are the best places to go to encapsulate what is the most amazing aspects or the most amazing aspects of all of Vietnam? Okay, so it, just to get kind of, if you have to snack on Vietnam, yeah. I would recommend um, starting off in maybe Ho Chi Minh City, spending a couple of days there, and you can do some really awesome trips from Ho Chi Minh City or Saigon, as, as the, the locals call it. Mm-hmm. You can go to the Coochie Tunnels, for example, and crawl through tunnels at Viet Cong, crawl, crawl, uh, crawl through, yeah. um, and that's kind of, it's a real eye-opener. You just go, oh, my God, the Vietnamese are just <laughs> amazing. I just <laughs> think just, that uh, having 
Yes, having done it, I think it's life-changing, the Coochie Tunnels. Uh, oh, it absolutely is, you know, and just to hear the stories of, of I guess, survival, um, you know, uh, what they what the Vietnamese did to survive, um, it's just very eye-opening to go there. And then you can also do a day trip um, to the Mekong Delta, which is just beautiful. That's the full food bowl of, of Vietnam. So, you know, you go to the floating markets and it's just a really, really lovely day trip. I mean, there's lots to do in Saigon as well. You can go to the um, um, War Museum. I I was there and I literally could only spend 10 minutes because Mm. it was just so sad and yep. you know you see the see the effects of war and, and all that sort of thing but yeah so, so some people have a kind of a stronger constitution than I do yeah. but it's not because it was um, horrific it's just so emotional yeah, I'm, well, with you. Uh, I'm with you Diane on yeah, that one. yeah it does render you silent when you're there and absolutely loads you up with respect Oh, absolutely. It's, it's quite fascinating, actually. Beyond those yeah. two big cities, so Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh, yeah. um, where else should people be putting on their, their lists of um, places to visit? But Australians, perhaps who've never been before, if they want to do one other, um, get to get a real sense of Vietnam. I would go to central Vietnam. A lot of people go to Hoi An, but mm-hmm. for me it's probably too touristy. Um, I would probably spend a couple of days in Hoi An and then maybe a few more days in Hue City. Um, and that's just a little bit north of Da Nang. And you can take the train from uh, Da Nang to Hue City and go through the Haivan uh, 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 Pass, which is one of the most beautiful um, scenic trips in the world along the coastline. It really is gorgeous. I think it was on Top Gun um, as one of the most beautiful um uh, roads, I think, to travel in the world. But the oh, train is fantastic. fantastic. So, yeah, you can do the, do the train. And I really love Hue City. It's, it's, a, it's actually the old imperial city. So before Hanoi was the capital, Hue was the capital. Hmm. So um, they've got a really beautiful citadel there. Um, you can actually take a day trip from Hue and go into the demilitarised zone into a place called uh, a little bit uh, first place is Quang Chi, which is where a lot of Vietnamese lost their lives and there's a really nice um, museum and memorial there. But then you can come back to Da Nang as well. Da Nang is kind of a little like, little bit like the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. So um, it's less touristy than, than Hoi An. But what people don't do is spend a lot of time in Hanoi and I think they should. Mm-hmm. Hanoi is an amazing mm-hmm. city. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Hanoi's beautiful. Now, where you said in Danang, there are all those beautiful beach resorts as well, aren't yeah. there, along there? Long, Correct. beautiful drives off the road down towards the water with all these exquisite buildings that you can see in the distance. Correct. Yeah. Dang, da Nang is actually where a lot of people, particularly expats from Hanoi, are moving to. The clean air in Da Nang is fantastic. But you can also, Da Nang's got quite a bit of history with the war as well. So you can go up to Marble Mountain mm. and check out the, the hospital that's in the cave there. And that's that's really, really fantastic. Um, but it's really interesting to kind of go into the mountain and, um, and, and see, you know, again, the resourcefulness of the Vietnamese people in terms of how they deal with adversity. So they built this hospital in the mountain. Um, to make sure that the, 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 the wounded were protected. But, you know, China Beach is, is quite famous in Da Nang as well and now it's a, it's a gorgeous beach for swimming. But there's there's the touristy Banna Hills as well, which mm. is, has the, the big gate with the hands. So, you, oh. I mean, you've just described, you know, maybe half a dozen or eight incredible places uh, yeah. along the length and breadth <clears> of this amazing country. How, yeah. Uh, and you, you mentioned train and easy rider journeys. How else are yeah. uh, people typically getting around? How would you get 
for example, from, I don't know, Da Nang to Ho Chi Minh City? There are a few options, actually, and it really depends on your your time. I mean, a lot of people take the train. Mm -hmm. You can take sleeper trains, which are quite comfortable and very, very cost-effective. Mm. You can also take um, a sleeper bus, which is like a bus but has been converted into, like, these little, I guess, um, they're like tubes where you can kind of put your feet and they're mattresses and you can sleep on that as they're well. Sort of like, aren't they a bit um, like, a, like a full grown-up size baby capsule? That sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what they're yeah, like. Yeah, and then, yeah they're yeah. actually surprisingly comfortable. Mm. You can also, if you are confident with your motor, motorbike skills, you can hire a bike and do the Ho Chi Minh uh, Trail from mm. uh, south to north or north to south. Wow. That's pretty awesome as well. But if you're getting around the, um, the cities... Yeah. Yeah. The best way is is with a you download a, an app called uh, Grab. It's it's kind of like Uber, um, and you can book um, cars. And I tend to get around on a motorcycle taxi because it's very very cheap and very very quick and very uh, efficient. But um, the Grab taxi, um, then you know exactly what it is that you're paying for your cost because um, you know there's taxi scams in every city. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. So if you have that kind of an app then you can you can basically order your taxi yourself and you know exactly how much. Is the transaction done in the app or are you paying cash to the driver? You, uh, both, both. I, te- I can do it with my credit card, right. um, but I have a Vietnamese credit card, but you can do it in cash as well. We talk about taking tours as, as well just to get you to places that yeah. you might not otherwise be able to yeah. go to and it's safe and yeah. you're going to get great food and all those sorts of things. So right. Just, and which also enables you to be able to do things because you don't have to worry so much about the language barrier. Is there such an issue? Do you think that's a problem at all or not? I think there are some things that you really want to take a tour for. Like, for example, if you want to go up up north, up near the Chinese border um, and do what is called the Haozang Loop, you really need to get um, a tour for that. But you actually do it on a motorcycle, which is really cool. So you hop on a motorcycle for about about five days and you just ride around the mountains in the north um, and stay at homestays. I think, and that's safer. Um, because you're you're on the back of a motorbike with someone who knows the country and the roads intimately. So if you're the the roads in very Vietnam are really unsafe. So you have to know what you're doing, particularly if you're driving on some of those mountain roads. You know, basically you look down, you can fall. Um, you know, half, half a k or something. So it's really really dangerous. Um, so so those sorts of things, I think. Uh, you should, really should have a tour. Yeah. But if you're around the city, you can actually land in Hanoi, for example, and work out what to do when you get here. Hanoi is a really, really friendly city. I mean, when I first got here, I could not speak any Vietnamese whatsoever. So I would – and the one the one thing about the Grab app is that you can order in English, but then everything else is done in Vietnamese. So the driver will call you and they're talking to you in Vietnamese and you've got no idea what it is they're saying. So I used to just hand my phone to someone. You can't do this in Saigon because it'll get get nicked. But uh, in Hanoi, (laughs) you can literally hand your phone to someone and point and go grab and they'll take your phone and they will talk to the grab driver, sort out your address, and then want to be Facebook friends friends with you. Oh, so it's, it's, it's just, you know, Hanoi's a really interesting city like that. It's very friendly. Yeah. Now, Diane, we talk about um, moments when you're travelling. You know, there's yeah. this single things that, that stand out, and it doesn't have to be anything amazing for all people, but 
just something that struck you at a particular time. What what would what, what would that be for you with Vietnam? Oh gosh, I mean, it's the everyday small moments mm. when you know people are just so kind. Like, um, like for example, I didn't. I was on the back of a, a grab motorcycle and I didn't have any change. So the driver gave me his ID, took my big note went off and found some change and came back and, and, and bought it to me. So those kind of little moments, you know, where people are yeah. just really kind and do awesome stuff. And then you've kind of got those really big moments. So, for example, one of my first trips up north was to a place called Mugang Chai. And it is, oh, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. So I, I did a, basically a road trip with um two cars, carfuls of uh, Vietnamese friends. I was the only foreigner. And we just we just kind of just did this road trip up and back in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And the scenery was just amazing. You know, being with a whole lot of Vietnamese people, um, you know, I, I felt so honored to be on that trip. You know, we'd stop a bit, have some tea, stop a bit, drive a bit more, have some Ziel Gao, rice wine, drive a bit more, stop and have ice cream. And then you get up into the, into the mountain area and the, the sun coming up over the, the mountains and the, the light rain and this eco-lodge that was basically in the middle of nowhere and majestic country. It was oh, just an amazing experience. So that's something that I, I will always fondly remember. And probably also my first time seeing Halong Bay. Hmm. Um, yes. that, that was just mind-blowing. I just couldn't believe how beautiful it was. I was just like, it just took my breath away. It really did. Um, do you, just really quickly, do you have a favourite place? Sure. Is there either either like a city or a town or a secret corner in Hanoi that that um, oh, is your absolute favourite spot? This, I know this sounds really weird, but one of my favourite spots in Hanoi is a place called Hulong Sen Spa. It's uh, I call it my happy place, and it's a traditional Vietnamese spa, and it's like the whole experience so what you actually do you have to get a little bit naked actually that's not a lie you have to get a lot naked to go but it's <laughs> kind of like a japanese onsen oh, yeah. and you um so you you get naked for the tub so i'll take you through the process but basically you pay three hundred and fifty thousand dong which is like about 15 20 dollars mm. so what what happens is that you take off your shoes and your shoes get cleaned while you're there. So I always wear my dirty shoes. Ooh, that's a nice um, value. That's enough reason yeah. to go. <laughs> it's <is> great. <laughs> so and then um, and you have your own kind of um, what you do is they take you to the second floor. So male and female are segregated. That's no problem. So there's no sort of kind of crossover. So you sit in this giant tub of um, kind of herbal tea and then you're served um, a cup of hot ginger tea and you sit there. I often go with friends so I kind of chat, you know, and it's like we're all naked we're all kind of chatting, which is kind of a little bit weird, but you, you get over it quite quickly. Um, and then, then you're out of that and then you're into a bath um, and then you get your back scrubbed. And then from there you go into the steam room, from there into the sauna with like a Himalayan salt um, situation and then into the cold room. And then you go up and have one hour massage with acupuncture. Oh, Lord, yes. Just take a whole day. 
It's about two, two hours, three hours worth of um, happy happiness. Oh, wow. It really is. So then you're in the massage centre, in the having a massage for about an hour, um, and it's fantastic. They get into all the spots, I tell you. And then <laughs> after that, after that, you end. You go and have your light refreshments, which includes uh, some Vietnamese porridge, some fruit, and some more ginger tea. All for twenty bucks. Oh. I kid you not. It. I tell you what. It's just one of the best places to be. And it reminds me why I really love being in, in uh, Vietnam and Hanoi. So that's my happy place. So if people are kind of a little bit nervous about going to traditional spas, but it is such a fantastic experience. It really is. Diane, great pleasure. Thank you very much for speaking to us thank you thank you so much everyone needs to go to vietnam bye-bye absolutely bye-bye now ben what a treat Mm -hmm. and listeners Mm -hmm. we are so extremely excited to introduce you to our next guest luke nguyen Now, Luke, as we all know, is a chef, restaurateur and well-known TV host in Australia. He's hosted shows like Luke Nguyen's Vietnam and Luke Nguyen's Street Food Mm. Asia and is an expert when it comes to Vietnamese food. And we are absolutely thrilled to be talking to you today. So welcome to the show, Luke. Thank you. So glad to be on the show. You guys are lots of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, um, Luke, we we really have so much to ask you about um, Vietnamese uh, food, but can you Mm -hmm. first tell us about your new show that's coming up? Yes, it's a starting new show. And um, I remember uh, arriving to Vietnam for the first time when I was in my teens Um, and uh, I didn't have any money. I was backpacking around Vietnam and I caught the train, which is called the Reunification Express. Mm -hmm. And it only cost a couple of dollars back then. And um, actually it still costs a couple of dollars now, a bit more. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember seeing Vietnam for the first time on the railway system and uh, it was a great experience. And so now I'm doing it again, but I'm stopping off at um, multiple uh, stations and just exploring and discovering um, the regional dishes of those particular areas. And I want to show uh, the world, Australians in the world, how um, diverse Vietnamese cuisine is. Um, we all the, all the all the popular dishes, of course, is, you know, your, your banh mi, your, your baguettes and your pho and your rice, pepper rolls and all that. We all love that. However, the cuisine changes from region to region. And I don't mean just from north, centre and south. I mean, wow, from, from all the destinations I take you, there's so many different dishes that I discover for the first time and I want to share those with the viewers as well. Um, what are some of those real culinary hotspots in Vietnam beyond the big cities, Luke? Yeah, so uh, for me, you know, you go to places like, uh, you probably haven't heard of before, um, Haiphong, right? Haiphong is uh, the fourth largest city in, in Vietnam. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it's not, on, it's not really on the tourist radar, right? However, no, it is not. The, the, the street food is just incredible. There's not a lot of little small restaurants actually it's mainly life and eating and dining on the streets which is really really cool um if you're in if you're in ho chi minh or hanoi um it's becoming so modern that um all the street stores are uh, disappearing right however if you go to the smaller destinations like like haiphong and and da nang and uh, and hue you're like oh my goodness incredible and if you go to hue which is like an imperial town in the center it's where all the all the, uh, you know, the, the kings used to, or the emperors 
used to live and um, you have um, the imperial cuisine there. So that's a cuisine where, you know, I'm really, really excited to, to learn more about. First-time visitors to Vietnam, Luke, who who, yep. who may um, be familiar with those things you mentioned before, like the fur and the rice paper rolls mm-hmm. and banh mi, mm-hmm. are there mm-hmm. some dishes that they should absolutely try to kind of broaden their, I don't know, their their palate and their minds to the potential of Vietnamese food? Absolutely. Oh, but we're just talking about hue, right? H-U-E. Mm-hmm. Vietnamese is very tonal, so you have, to, you, you have to know the tone. So it's hue. And um, they do a great dish, one of my favorite noodle soup dishes called bún bò hue. And it's um, basically uh, a beef broth with pork bones in it as well, um, flavored with lemongrass, loads of chili, mm. <laughs> garlic, and so it's a spicy beef noodle soup uh, with crab cakes and fish cakes and and uh, congealed um, pork blood, um, <laughs> and it's a really fantastic. I was all right, think- Chile, huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think this dish is the, the new pho, and I want it to be, right? So I'm always urging people, okay, you know pho, try this one. This is the next step. Uh-huh. You know, um, so uh, I think that's a one dish that wow, it's so flavorsome, and um, it's becoming very, very popular not only in Vietnam but but the world as well. Um, what else can I introduce you to? Wow, you go to an area like Hoi An, which is uh, any Aussie that goes to to Vietnam, but like we love Hoi An, mm-hmm. it's such a romantic, magical place where there's just you know lit lanterns everywhere and people are so friendly and the food's quite incredible. There's a dish there called um, Gao Lau and it's similar because um, Vietnam has so many different influences from from China, from France, from Japan as well. This dish is a noodle dish, more of a dry noodle dish, not too much broth and the noodles made, uh, looks like, it looks like udon noodles um, but it's got charcoal through it as well so it has this lovely charred uh, dark uh, colour and um, great texture and it's um, beautiful uh, noodle that could only be made and found in Hoi An because it's made with this special water from the Bali well. Um, mm. Now all these all this information it is it's fascinating to learn. And so when you when you reach Vietnam, you're like, wow, the the food is so diverse, so mm. diverse. And uh, I'm always urging people to go to different areas and to to try the the dishes that um, originated from there. The, the history of pho, though, and and yeah. it takes a while before we all learn not to say pho, but pho, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, yeah, you say it with a question mark. I oh, do. You. Can you give it a go? Yeah. Say it again. Pho? Huh? That's it. Yes. <laughs> it was like you're asking a question. It, and is yeah, that the, does, does that make huh. it the correct, correct pronunciation? Correct. If you go to a Vietnamese restaurant and you say, can I get a bottle of pho? <laughs> they're probably, they're, huh? but if you say pho? And they'll know exactly what you mean. There you go. That's I love that tip. That's the best thing ever. Now that's that's a that's an absolutely <laughs> wonderful dish, and uh, mm-hmm. from the street food uh, vendors and the little restaurants in both um, Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City, where yeah. I've been. Um, what is the history of it? Because I don't know that I've ever had one that isn't absolutely spellbindingly delicious. Yeah. Well, the history, um, you know, when the reunification express the railway line was built by the French. Um, the French left behind and uh, many great things for Vietnam, um, architecture, um, art, um, patisserie, you know, baking, coffee, and also pho. Now, um, 
before and how did the French, they come to be uh, French? <clears throat> yeah, so before the French were here, Vietnamese, Vietnam didn't have a lot of cows. They didn't have any beef, right? Uh, we didn't eat beef. It was so, too expensive. And so it was mainly chicken, pork, duck, and a lot of vegetables and a lot of seafood. Um, when the French came over, they said, guys, you don't, you don't eat beef. We're going to start bringing a lot of cows over, get some milk, and we're going to start eating, <laughs> eating a lot of beef. And so um, all of the beef that was consumed by uh, the French, the Vietnamese were like, we don't want to waste these bones, right? We, uh, we should start making soups and broths out of it because Vietnamese don't like to waste anything. And so when they saw the French making a great dish as well called uh, pot au feu, which basically is um, using bones and shins and, and roasting vegetables and, um, and getting the flavours out of that, you know. And the Vietnamese said, wow, this is kind of great, great. So we adapted pot au feu, pot au feu, right, That's and we made amazing. pho. So that uh, is where pho came from. Um, it was influenced by the French and the Vietnamese made it their own. There you um, go. You know, they, added, they added the rice noodles in there, added all the beautiful mint and basil, um, you know, a sawtooth coriander, and uh, it originated from the north of Vietnam. And slowly that dish evolved and started to travel the country. And so the south of Vietnam flavours of pho is completely different to the north. <laughs> um, northern flavours are very clean, very simple because uh, Vietnam is quite a long country, um, and up in the north near China, it's quite cold at times. And so um, a lot of produce cannot be grown. But in the south, it's so tropical, you know. It's it's close. It's neighboring uh, Thailand and Cambodia. And so the, the, the produce is more abundant. Um, and so the flavors are a bit more robust. The broth is a bit darker and a little more rich, uh, whereas the north is very clean and uh, delicate is the word. Amazing. Luke, yeah. which, um, which dishes would you recommend for the sort of more adventurous foodie, someone who's really looking to kind of, you know, sample something truly unique and, and out there? <laughs> sure. what, what's, what are we talking about there? Okay. Next to uh, Ni Hanoi is an area called Ninh Binh. And um, I went there uh, to search for the mountain goat. That's what they're, they're known for because Ninbin has beautiful limestone casts uh, that are just spectacular amongst the rice fields. It's it's really beautiful. And when we were filming, we were just couldn't believe it. You know, people would watch it and, and say, is there a green screen here? Like this can't be mm. real, you know, but uh, landscape is so gorgeous. Anyway, so I found lots of goat kind of hanging out in the um, – in the mountains, and of course, I, I ate some um, and cooked some up. But so, one of the dishes I really enjoyed um, were hunting for um, ants' eggs. Hunting so they're the ants black ants. Eggs. Yes. Ants' eggs. So we yeah. we went looking in the trees, high up in the trees, for their nests, and we um, we harvested <laughs> their eggs, which are little little white things, and uh, um, they're really really beautiful great pop great texture uh great protein <laughs> what, how, what, and, how um, do you cook them luke you just you surely no you, you don't you, you don't cook them you, you, you take them. them from the tree and eat them correct yes and while whilst you're making this for example i i've had some uh that's i found some wild beetle leaves um, got some lemongrass, got beautiful herbs together made a lovely crispy um textual salad and I sprinkled like a 
good handful of the the eggs in there, wow. right? And um, you scoop it up, you get a bit of leaf, and you wrap it up in the leaf, and you you eat it. And amongst that, there's the the live ants are still crawling through there, and you eat them as well. I'm just going to say, there's going to be a whole lot of crazy mother ants going around yeah. when you're oh, taking yeah. oh, cranky as there anything. Were, there were thousands of them, absolutely. Um, and so they were like, you know, still in the mixing bowl. And uh, <laughs> she, I shouldn't give too much away, but okay. um, the ants uh, have a great zest to them. You know, citrus little. No, beautiful sour taste. So, uh, uh, do you lovely. know of the, of the green ones up in Queensland that you can mm. that that, that yeah. you, you don't kill them though. You just pick them up, you lick their ass, as it were, which is really spearminty <laughs> and lovely, and then you let them go. I mean, so you just give them, you just lick their ass. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, they've gone through a terrible shock, thinking, "My God, what's happening here?" But bad That's luck for fantastic. them. They're really tasty. I know. So it must wow. be something similar. But you don't okay, kill quick them. Question. Quick question: How do you pick them up and lick their ass? Like, well, because do they just turn around for you, or just, do they just say, "Hang on a second, let me turn around"? Just bend over. No, you just—they're just as as they're walking along, and you just grab them quickly, and they're they're in a bit of shock. So you just just—they are delicious. Okay. I licked a lot of ants' arts up in, <laughs> in Queensland. This is going to take my, some editing. This one. Uh, so but, funny. But my next you, show, I'm going to Queensland. Yeah. I'm licking green ants' asses. You let them go. Though. No, Luke, you don't <laughs> need all of them. them. Yeah, okay. you let them go. Now, yes. <laughs> now, I don't think either of those uh, recipes are um, something that our listeners are going to be able to easily <laughs> throw down. <together. laughs> Luke, one of the things we do on the show is um, to you know try and just come up with a really simple recipe, something people might be able to do at home with the ingredients they have okay. in, their, in their pantry, or they can easily get at the local market to give a, right. a, a taste of Vietnam. Is there one that you would recommend? Okay, um, in their pantry. Uh, yeah, there's so many you can do. All right, how about this one? Uh, let's see. Uh, barramundi. Mm-hmm. Do you have barramundi in your fridge, or is it only pantries? No, you can. You can, you can, you can <laughs> we can. We can grab things from the fridge too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you got some barramundi fillets lying around, um, you got you got butter in the fridge. Um, please have some fish sauce in the pantry, mm-hmm. and um, also some vegetables. It might be some you know, green beans or snow peas or something, right? That's fine. And so really simple, seasoned salt and pepper with the with the barra, uh, pan sear that, right, nice and crispy, skin on. Mm-hmm. And I would make a lovely um, brown butter uh, fish sauce, right? So okay. basically brown, brown your, very, very simple, brown your butter. That only takes a good 10 minutes until it, you know, smells really nutty. Mm-hmm. And then um, add some sliced ginger in there, some spring onion, season it with fish sauce. So it's a brown butter fish sauce. And then um, uh, that's a really good base. Squeeze some lime to cut through the, the butter. And then you're just blanching the, the, the beans or eat the beans raw up to you. Put it on the brown money sauce, brown butter sauce over, and that's a really, really quick dish with loads of flavour, and it presents really well as well. Yum! And that, the, the, yeah. that fish sauce just takes you to Vietnam, doesn't it? Absolutely. And if you're just doing a brown butter sauce, it's okay. But um, if you, when you're adding fish sauce, giving this beautiful depth of flavour, um, lime juice. Uh, and and serve, have some fresh, you know, garnishes of coriander and mint, and it's a bit of chili. It's a really great dish. A real a, a dish that's fit for a restaurant, really. You know, some a dish like that that I would take to the restaurants and make myself. And the reason why butter is used is um, butter is used a lot through Vietnam. 
because of the French influence. Mm-hmm. Um, not as much as the, the French would use. The French would say, put a kilo of butter in there. No, <laughs> we will put like, you know, 100 grams or so of butter to make the sauce. But um, it's all about, Vietnamese food is all about freshness, um, balance as well. So balance is the key. Um, always have a little bit of sour with the lime, a bit of saltiness with the fish sauce, sweetness as well. So uh, that's what I love about Vietnamese cuisine is it's so elegant. Mm. Luke, and just quickly, is the is the food really different up in up at altitude, up in places like Sapa? Like, does it is it would we be eating quite different things up there? Very, very different. Um, up in Sapa, all the all the ethnic um, uh, hill tribes uh, they have mainly uh, a plant based diet. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow a lot of vegetables, uh, a lot of herbs, uh, a lot of root vegetables as well, and and rice. So. Um, then their diet, uh, if there's, of course, there's wild pigs and that running around, but that's more of a, um, we, when we celebrate, when they celebrate, then they would um, eat meat. Mm-hmm. And, and I really love traveling up there because uh, I can go vegetarian for a very long time and um, discovering all the different uh, greens and herbs and vegetables, fantastic. I saw, up in the I, north, yeah, yeah. I saw people up there selling um, huge chunks of honeycomb as well. From the, uh, on, oh, yeah, yeah, the forage from the forest. Uh, it's all wild, mm. all wild, all organic, gorgeous honey, very light in color, um, beautiful, clean, delicate flavors. And so, street food for me up there is, um, you know, sitting on a red stool and just eating fresh corn or sweet potato that's been, uh, you know, charcoaled. Um, what else? They charcoaled is some eggs. So <laughs> that's what we're eating over there. You know, a lot of mustard greens, um, uh, different, um, different broccolis, very unusual, wild ingredients. We are thrilled to have been talking to you. It's just been amazing. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, guys. You've been fun. Thanks. Enjoy this program. We will be Coming enjoying the soon, program. December. Thanks so much. Look, Thanks it's been a, a, a real a real treat. Just quickly before you go, um, beyond the Taste Bud Tab, uh, Traveller podcast, where can our listeners find more information about you and your show? Yes, uh, SBS and the website as well. Uh, we'll have some teasers up there and um, you know, we're airing in early December. First episode is in Ho Chi Minh City, which is Saigon. And for 10 weeks, we travel all the way from the south all the way up to the north to Sapa. It's a really great journey. We so look forward to watching it. Thanks again. Thank you, folks. Thank you. See you. Lasagna. Bye. Bye. So, Ben and listeners, we're very, very excited to chat with our next guest, Eddie McDougall. There's a lot to say about Eddie, so we'll try our best to cover it all. Eddie is an award-winning winemaker. He is chairman of the Asian Wine Review and a wine critic and columnist. How much can you know about Mm. wine, Ben? Mm. He's also the CEO of The Flying Winemaker and has hosted a television show by the same name. We're looking forward to speaking to you, Eddie. So today we're going to talk with Eddie about wine in Vietnam. And called the flying winemaker, Eddie, because? Because I make wines in lots of different countries around the world. <laughs> there I've you go. I've made wines in Australia, New Zealand, uh, Taiwan, China, France, Italy, aptly named um, because I've I, I produced and have made wine in a number of countries. I've seen it described that you um, you travel around looking for undiscovered varieties of wine in in asia for example um Mm. are they growing something different or unique in in vietnam and are there any um popular homegrown 
varieties or options? Look, they, they haven't got any indigenous varietals from Vietnam. Um, a lot of them are, you know, uh, original French cuttings, um, whether it's Grenache, um, Cabernet, or Syrah, uh, particularly mm-hmm. in the reds, or Merlot. Um, that said, those particular varietals don't work quite as well in, in those kind of conditions. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of other experimentation with other varietals. Um, you know, I think as far as even the Spanish varietals like Tempranillo and things like that. So there, there isn't um, a Vietnamese grape as such um, that's being used. However, the, the industry with the, the inclusion of the, the Vietnamese sort of winemakers, they've also made wines which are hybrid between grape and, say, other types of berries. And uh, oh. mul- mulberries have been one of, the, one, of the, one of the other types of berries I've used to include go. in the blends of the wines as well. That's interesting. Yeah, and and it, and, it, and the, the flavour that they give, the taste? Yeah, so the, the flavours, when in the context of, say, a red wine, they're, they're more, um, they're not full-bodied. They don't, they don't have the, the level of ripeness or, or the intensity um, because they've got a very short ripening window in places like Vietnam because it's humid, it's hot, it's warm, um, and the, 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 the range between cool, the cool nights and warm days is, is quite short, it's quite narrow. So the flavours are, are generally lighter style of reds. Um, they're, they're very few whites. Um, strangely enough, I think they should be producing more whites, but there aren't that many. Um, and, and I think it's because they're making the wines for the local palate and, you know, for, for the locals, you know, red wine is considered the only wine. <laughs> ah, there you go. But if, if, it's, if red's the only wine, what of beer? Eddie, because it's very impop- really popular in Vietnam, is it, and and cheaper than water in some places. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I love Vietnamese beer; it's delicious, and they, they've got a wonderful way of serving it with a huge block of ice inside it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can understand why it's cheaper than water because <laughs> it just because um, it's probably cleaner than the water <laughs> that you would probably get out of the taps. Yeah. Um, hey, Eddie, if, if but, someone sorry to cut you off, um, uh, if someone's visiting Vietnam and they're interested in trying one of those wine blends with mulberries or other mulberries. Are they relatively easy to find? How would someone track one of those down? Are there wine bars where they can sample that kind of thing? Yeah, the the, few, the wine bars probably haven't actually embraced the local wines quite as much. Hmm. It's probably more the local supermarkets and uh, and some of the independent retailers of Vietnamese produce. So they could be selling um, Vietnamese. Uh, for example, snake wine or other kinds of rice wines or other types of um, Vietnamese locally produced or, or brewed um, alcoholic beverages. So, and they, they would have like a, a one of the brands is called Vang de Lat, um, and that, that's probably one of the more popular ones that has probably the best presence around town. Um, and look, I, I would recommend if you do see see that particular wine, um, you know, I, I would suggest drinking it chilled. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really quite delicious when they're chilled, hmm. um, and obviously it's more refreshing um, given the conditions in Vietnam and the types of food and the flavours that you get. So, there are two two questions for you: What's your favourite Vietnamese food and wine pairing? All right. Um, look, a lot of people, you know, don't have too much of a scope of Vietnamese cuisine other than the you know the pho noodles and, and the spring rolls and you know, and, and uh, the banh mi's. Um, yes. And th- th- there is a lot more to a Vietnamese food than that. 
Yeah, um, but they, they, they're pretty delicious to begin with, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I love sort of the, the slow cook, the, the stews, the Vietnamese curries, because they're, they're real kind of, uh, you know, they're very aromatic. They're, you know, as you know, Southeast Asian curries and, and slow cooked dishes are, are intensely flavored, but they're very fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I do like um, their sort of beef curry that they produce. Um, and, and they serve it with baguette. Instead of rice, it's dipped with baguette. Um, it's not super spicy, but it's super delicious. Um, and look, when, when it comes to to these kind of uh, dishes where, you know, there's the spice, there's aromatics, there's lots of things going on. You know, for me, the, the go-to wine, and speaking in a, in a broader context, is either Viognier or Gewürztraminer. Hmm. Oh, there you go. That's good to know. Two, too. Sort of, two slightly more viscous, uh, oily, aromatic, pungent, um, you know, fruity um, wines that, you know, don't get masked by the, the intensity or the, or the, the crunch or the, um, you know, the, the freshness of the, the flavors in, in, for example, this particular curry, which is lots of ginger and lemongrass and so forth. Uh, and, and actually complements wonderfully. And the viscosity, that oiliness, mm. um, you know, it actually wraps around that it, and adds to that saucy kind of flavor. And, you know, when you've got beef, obviously you need something with that can complement protein as well. Hey, Eddie, you mentioned just before snake wine. I'm just wondering if you can tell us what that is, how that's consumed and and when. Is that for special occasions or is it just for tourists? Um, can you just explain that? No, it's definitely not for tourists. Uh, and as I say, anything medicinally consumed that doesn't taste very nice <laughs> is, is good for your um, libido. Uh, ah. It's always the libido. <laughs> doesn't matter whether it's so, a rhinoceros uh, horn or. <laughs> but it's always mean so, as yeah. too. <laughs> wish to interpret that. Um, Taste-wise, it, it's um, it's very medicinal. Um, I've had it before. Um, I've I've had a few different versions of it before. Um, it's not particularly ethical. Um, and and mm-hmm. you know, there's been a clampdown on it in Vietnam because the. The, the actual hunting of, of particular types of snakes or, and things like that. They're, you know, they're often using endangered species of snakes and mm. so forth. That's um, good to know. So I, I wouldn't, you know, putting my ethical hat on, I wouldn't recommend going doing it. But, you know, I was during, if you watch the Vietnamese episode of The Flying Winemaker, um, a friend of mine who features on the show is a very well-regarded chef, um, Bien Nguyen, um, he tricked me into drinking this wine and uh yeah having it with a a, a pretty obscure um in, uh, vietnamese delicacy which is like the uh semi-developed duck egg oh yeah um, which is also supposedly a good for libido so you can only imagine <laughs> i was mm. walking around yeah we might have to look that episode up i'd say oh um, good to imagine yes eddie thanks so much it's been a real pleasure chatting to you i think you've got a job we'd all love to have um, thanks for joining us. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you um, if they want to track down a bit more after they've listened to the Taste Bud Traveller? Yeah, sure. No, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on the show. It's a great a pleasure. Interesting, interesting topics, and Vietnam's a, a real um, interesting point for, for me, me personally because I love traveling there as well. Hmm. Um, but as far as finding me, look, we, you know, we have a vineyard in New Zealand called Gladstone Vineyard, so I spend a fair bit of time here. I, I live between Hong Kong and Macau, if you can catch me there. Um, and of course, in Australia, between um, the King Valley and Margaret River is where we produce our wines. But um, look, social media is the easy one as well. So um, just look look me up on social, add me, like me, uh, and we'll, we can talk through social. Brilliant. And, uh, 
and get involved, but hopefully meet some of you guys for a glass of wine one day. That would be very good. Sterling idea. Thank you very much. Thanks, Eddie. Ciao. Ben, you know what? This is just such a wonderful pastime, sitting here and talking about it. Not quite as good as going, but however. It's up there. uh, It is, isn't it? Mm. Enough to fill the travel soul, I Mm -hmm. have to say. So um, I totally enjoy it. Thank you for all your information too. I love nothing more than a good bit of travel natter. Me too. Mm. Yes. Mm. And you're good at it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And listeners, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and uh, tell your friends and family all about Taste by Traveller. And we love hearing from you. So be sure to leave comments wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we look forward to taking you on another journey soon. See you later, Ben. Ciao. And listeners, bye.